you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 34. And last week we had uh, Hugh uh, teach, teach us from Genesis 33 about what it means to come back home. And, and then I get the defiling of Dinah. And so uh, it might even be a question of why is this chapter even included in the Bible? There are many commentators who actually um, just gloss over it. They don't even deal with it. We might ask the question, why is, why is this family in the Bible? They're so dysfunctional, and they're not just there to make you think good of your family. They're there to teach us 2 Timothy 3.16. talks about how all of Scripture is God-breathed. And it's there for our teaching and our rebuking. Because what we need to see this morning is we don't need to look at say, man, those people really are messed up. Because if you look and say those people are really messed up, then you've missed the point. See, that's the danger of speaking to people who look nice and clean up really well. The danger is to think that we no longer are capable of those sins. And so this is going to be a little bit of trying to make this a little personal this morning. And maybe it's not the exact sin, but we should all come away by saying all have sinned. And we all need a savior. And so we're going to unpack this this morning. We're going to look at the struggle with sin that Jacob has and we have. We're going to look at the sinful behavior that comes about. We're going to see the sins of the sons and we're going to see the consequences of those sins this morning. So let us look to the Lord in prayer first before we go to his word. Heavenly Father, this is a hard passage. It's a, it's a hard passage to hear. It's a hard passage to grasp and to apply. But Lord, may we truly be like the Apostle Paul who, when he came to a saving knowledge of grace, was able to say, I'm the least of the saints. But as he lived his life, he said, I'm the least of the the, the Christians. But at the end of his life, after doing all of the things, after being beat for you and being imprisoned and planting churches, He said, I'm the worst of sinners. Father, allow our sin to become very big and noticeable to us this morning. Not to condemn us, but that we can see just how merciful and gracious you were through Jesus Christ. Father, may the cross And may our Savior Jesus Christ become so huge in our understanding this morning that our sin pales in comparison. Father, thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your Son to pay for our sins and to give to us his righteousness. May we see it and feel it so richly this morning. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to jump back to chapter 33, and we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 20, because at this point, 
Uh, we know as of last week that Jacob has come and he's met his brother Esau. Esau does not kill him with the 400 men that he brings with him. He falls on his neck and he weeps with his brother and he's he's overjoyed to see his brother and he says, hey, I'm going to come and I'm going to come back with you. I want you to walk back with me. And Jacob says, no, you go ahead. I've got these flocks and I've got these little kids who are coming with me. I can't go at your pace. So you go ahead and go on and I'll be there soon. Well, he lies. Now, for those of us who've been following the story, that shouldn't shock us. So it says in verse 16, so Esau returned that day on his way to Sair, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth. And he built himself a house, and he made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is the land of Canaan, on his way from Padam Aram. And he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamar, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the pieces of land on which he had pitched his tent. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. So we have this situation that's going on. So he's done some really good things, right, Jacob? We we really do think he is saved, and yet he falls back into a struggle uh, within himself, and he deceives again. He lies to his brother, one who just, he, he just came and laid on his, his neck and, and forgave him for everything that he had ever done against him. He doesn't want to kill him. And, and even though he's coming home, Jacob see, deceives again. And we'll see that in the midst of that deceiving, he compromises where he goes. He doesn't go back to the land that God calls him to. He doesn't go to Bethel. He stops and sucketh. And he buys land and he builds a house. And he goes to Shechem. And when he compromises, he begins to endanger other people, namely his family. Now, we have to understand that there's always underlying sins within us. We call them besetting sins. Things that we need to deal with, otherwise they come back to haunt us. Now, let me give you just a world life thing. So when I deal with um, premarital counseling or marital counseling kind of situations, there's always a situation I bring up because I think it's very important. It's how you put on the toilet paper roll. And the toilet paper roll has to be put on in such a way that it rolls from the top. That way he saves it from rolling from the bottom and, and having a mess on the floor. So you have to put the toilet paper roll on correctly. Now, if it was ever put on incorrectly in my house, most times I'd sit there and chuckle, isn't that cute? And I just take the toilet paper roll and I flip it over and I put it on the correct way. But there are some times when the toilet paper roll is put on incorrectly that I become indignant, almost so angry that I am mad. Who put the toilet paper roll on incorrectly? Now, what's the difference between me chuckling about it and me getting mad about it? Because I have an underlying sin of that's disrespectful to me. I ask you to put a simple thing, how to put the toilet paper roll on correctly in my house, and you dishonor me by putting it on the the incorrect way? Do you even care about your father? Where's the honor and the respect and the loyalty? But that's my sin. 
And it's a besetting sin. It's a sin that I need to put to death daily so that it doesn't come up, so it doesn't come about when something as simple as toilet paper is put on incorrectly. Jacob's besetting sin is his whole family issue of deceitfulness. They are family of liars. Now, all of us have got to remember what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now I do what I do not want. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And how does, how does he respond with that? He says, Oh wretched man that I am. See, there's always that struggle within us. What are we going to do? Good or we're going to do the evil? So he, Jacob has a struggle with his brother and with other people in his life, but he also has, whoops, sorry, going the wrong way. My bad. But he also has a struggle with God. Why do I say that? First of all, we struggle with our own understanding. See, again, he thought he was doing something right according to the world. This was a land rich that he could have brought all of his livestock. We know he had lots of livestock. He gave so much of it away to his brother, but he still had so much more. And so he looks at the land and goes, you know what? This makes sense according to the world. But what does he not do? He doesn't stop and ask the Lord, is this where I should stay? Now, again, I told you this before, we should look, when we have those kind of questions of, God, what do you want me to do? We should go, okay, is it scriptural? Is there anything in scripture that speaks to it, right or wrong? Or uh, whatever is good and holy, is that what we're doing? Or is it things that we're going against? And if we see that it doesn't say anything in the scripture, well, then we go for godly counsel. Hey, is this something that I should do? And then once we get that answer, then we allow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, we already know that Jacob's been talked to by God. Do you not think God would have said, don't stay here? We know in the next chapter, he tells him, hey, get up and go to where I told you to go in the first place. Bethel. So he doesn't do this, so he struggles even with his own understanding, but then we're supposed to trust and obey the Lord. See, we're supposed to trust even when it goes against the normal flow of the world. Now, let's make this very practical, and again, I want people, and especially those who are at home thinking about it or whatever, ask the question, have you stopped and prayed, should I be in worship? Whether there's mass or no mass. God, where do you want me? Or have you just decided according to the world standards of, well, the CDC says. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't people who should say and stay home. I think God does give that opportunity. But I think there's a lot of people who just say, well, this is what the world says, and I'm going to obey the world. Sometimes we go counter to the world. But have we stopped and asked? And if we've asked, then will we obey when he calls? It's one thing to to say, I trust God. It's one thing to say that we've heard from God. But it's another thing to put it into practice. And so when he calls, will we obey when he calls? 
So Jacob is, is dealing with this with his brother. He's, he's lied. He's compromised and he's stopped in this area. Well, now we see that there's sinful behavior that goes on while he's there. Now I'm going to talk specifically about two types of sin, the sins of commission and the sins of omission. Now I want to tell you about the sins of commission. And so I'll give you the definition. These are sins that we take action to commit. So when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, that was a sin of commission. They acted upon it. They did it. So that's a sin of commission. So we have this time where we begin to get the story of Dinah, where she is making, first of all, unwise choices. Now, why do I say that? Because what Dinah does when she goes to check out the women of the land is abnormal for this period in this area of the world. It's even abnormal for today. One of the commentators said this. He had a friend from the Middle East that was educated in college with him in the U.S. Then the man goes home, and the situation was was he was talking to a girl who was in a crowd of women in the Middle East. He separates the woman from the crowd to speak to her. This is so against the, the, the society that the brothers of that girl come that night and they take the man out and they drag him around their car through the city. They kill him because he did something that was not to be done in that society. Dinah should not have been going about to see the women of the area and she definitely shouldn't be there alone. So there's some sin on Dinah's part, but there's also sin on Jacob's part. Why would Jacob allow her to go? Now again, we know this this family is messed up. How messed up is it to say, Leah, you're my least favorite wife and your children are my least favorite children. So you go first. So if my brother kills anybody, you're the first to go. That has to affect the relationship in the family. So we know it's messed up. But for Jacob to not care about his own daughter, Dinah? So we have this this situation where he should have been taking care of it. But what happens is because he's compromised, his daughter's defiled. Shechem performs an act of commission and he defiles Dinah. So we have that one aspect of the sin. It's an act of sin. But then there's also sins of omission. And sins of omission is where we know that something is supposed to be done good, but we refuse to do it. I know this is the right thing to do, but I refuse to do it. What does the scripture say about that? You cannot cleanse the heart. Matthew 15, 18 through 19 says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. And he's not talking about just those people. He's talking about us. Wouldn't we all be um, embarrassed if our hidden lives, our thought lives, 
were put up on the screen behind me. All of us. And so what, what Jacob does at this moment with his sense of omission, listen, he does nothing. We know that Dinah's still there. Because later in the passage it says that she was still in the home. Dinah is still the place where she has been defiled. Jacob does nothing. Listen, he doesn't even go and get his daughter. He knows what's right. And he doesn't do it. It's what Chris prayed about this morning. Father, forgive us for the sins we know that we commit, but also for the ones we don't ever, we're not even aware of. Jesus had to die for those too. And so we see this sinful behavior going on, but then we have the sins of the sons. Now, now there's a couple of things. First of all, as we look at headship, we see two different things. And we see that the first thing is that there's a pagan father, Hamar. He's the one who makes the right move. It's not Jacob. Hamar, this pagan father, is the one who takes the first move. And listen, he's the one who tries to make things right. And it's his son Shechem, listen to this, it's the son Shechem who shows Dinah is of great worth. He's the only one in the whole passage. Dinah, I will give whatever price you ask of me. I'll give it. So it's the pagans who are stepping up, but we have a lack of leadership within the family of God. Jacob does nothing. And again, we're called to be different from the world. And yet Jacob, in the midst of this, does nothing. And what happens is he doesn't find justice. He doesn't find justice for Dinah. And and I want you to grasp and understand this. He could have stopped what is about to happen if he stepped up and did the right thing. Jacob could have stopped the upcoming murders and lying and stealing if he had done what he was supposed to do. To be a Christian man who does the right thing. But what does he do? He relinquishes his authority to his sons. And what was the mindset of the sons who had no problem usurping the authority from their father? But their heads and their mindset was on revenge. Revenge. And so Jacob gives up his godly authority. He allows his sons to replace him. And then what happens is maybe even worse. He was supposed to be a blessing. Remember what God says? You're going to be a blessing to all the nations. 
And what does he become? He becomes a curse. The sons of Jacob start out deceitfully. Now that shouldn't surprise us because it's a family trait. Dad's done it. Moms have done it. Grandma and grandpa have done it. Grandma and great grandpa have done it. We do deceit well. So they planned it from the very beginning. <laughs> but what they don't have in regards to this deceit is there's no care for the innocent. And they take the sign of the blessing, circumcision. That's a blessing that God gave to his people. And they take the religious um, sign and they make it a curse. Here's what you need to do. If you become religious like us, at least outwardly, it's going to be okay. Now, before we throw rocks at them, how many of us have looked down at those other people? I would never be one of those rioters. I would never be one that would destroy property. I would never be like those bad people. See, we've got to apply it. And we can take even religious things. We can even become, we can create a church where people have to get cleaned up before they come and feel the forgiveness of Christ. It should not be. God doesn't need cleaned up people. He saves sinners. Like you and like me. And so they take this good sign of blessing and they make it a curse because they use it deceitfully and they use it to injure the people. And Jacob at least gets this right. He says, I become a stench in the land. He was supposed to be there to do good things. It would be like us moving into the neighborhood and the neighborhood said, I don't care that Northside was here because they never changed anything or worse than that. They've messed things up. That's what the church did for this area. Did what, did what Shechem did? Was that bad? Yes. But who did the worst? The Christians. And so we have this, this compromise that's going on and the sin that begins to expand, but then we have to realize that there are consequences to our choices. There's physical consequences, and we have to, we truly, as we look at this, the punishment that they give outweighs the crime. Now again, with their, one of the things that we've got to realize is neither the, the, the brothers nor the father come and console Dinah. We don't hear about that. They're centered on revenge and they're centered on themselves. If, if someone in your family had to go through that and be so humiliated, wouldn't you care about the person more than the situations that are around? 
Shouldn't the concern have been about Dinah? It's not. They no longer, listen, it's almost like they don't even care about their sister. They're so bent on revenge. And we learn later on that, um, that Jacob calls them, uh, Simeon and Levi, these are the sons of violence. You have a propensity for this. And you did what was wrong. But so, not only the brother's bad, but the, the, the father, his concern is for himself. You've made me a stench. What if they get their armies? Now again, had he not heard God say that he's going to bless them? He's going to make his offspring as many as the, the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore? How quickly we forget the promises of God. And we begin to look with human eyes. And, and I'm in that boat, in that boat too. I look at the situation around. So what do I do? I buy a gun. Buy more ammo. Start looking for land where I can put up a fence. And I might let some of you in. If you bring a gun and ammo with me and we can protect ourselves. See, all of us get caught up in the, in the everyday and thinking that we can figure it out on our own. And God says, do it my way. Listen to me. Obey me. Well, that's kind of hard. Exactly. Trust. Obey. But all Jacob can see is a concern for himself. Now again, we have to, to, to look, not only their physical consequences, but their spiritual consequences. And I want us, this is where I really want us to apply it. All have sinned. It is the scripture, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. There's not one good person in here. And I know that little statement is like easy to say, well, yeah, we're all sinners. But if I was up here and to say you are as, as bad as any terrorist bombing person from the Middle East, you're as worse as any person out there that's um, looting and stealing and revolting against the government, you are as bad, if not worse than them. You would be offended. Not me. Oh, yes, you. And we're worse because we should know better. But in the midst of our grasping how sinful we are, that's where the grace of God gets bigger. All of us need the Savior. If you go on after Romans 3.23, it says, in our, we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Jacob and his sons were worse than Hamar and Shechem. 
And the reality is they all needed a Savior. That's the good news. And we of all people, and I'm not going to dance up here because I don't want you to make fun of it. It's being recorded. I'm not doing that. I don't want to be on YouTube. But we should be dancing with joy and rejoicing because we know the Savior. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. All glory and honor to Him. That's why we come. That's why we come. To give all glory and honor. Because He is the one who's faithful. He is the one who justifies. He is the one who gives righteousness. Only in Christ do we stand before God. So would we say... Would we say, like Jacob, and it's coming, thankfully there's another chapter in the Bible. Untwist me. Untwist me. For I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need to hear the gospel message fresh and new every morning. Because it is too easy to become self-righteous. To think that we've arrived, to to become a Pharisee where we say we do everything we're supposed to. We give a tenth. We do the things that we're supposed to do at church. We attend worship. We come to all the activities. We do things right. And I'm thankful that I'm not like one of those sinners out there. Our Father, do we beat our chest? Do we beat our chest and say... I can't even look at you because of my sin. Father, forgive me for I'm a sinner. And then to know that Christ on the cross took our sin and he threw it as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more. But not only does he forgive us our sins, he gives to us his righteousness so that we, we can be called the sons and daughters of the king. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound to save a wretch like me. May this truly be our praise this morning in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.